I'm Julie. And this is a Good Story is Hard to Find podcast. Where two Catholic friends talk about the books and movies they love and the traces of the one reality that lie below the surface. Yes. And this uh, this week we're going to talk about Dunkirk, which is a Christopher Nolan movie, uh, somebody who we like quite a bit here. Uh-huh. <laughs> Inception is one we did an episode on. Um, this This movie was done in 2017. Um, it's a, it's a war film about, uh, Dunkirk, which was, uh, an event in World War II in 1940. It was a pivotal event. Pivotal, definitely. It's funny, when this movie came out, all these people were saying, I didn't know about Dunkirk, but I did. Did you know about Dunkirk? I did, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I thought everybody knew about Dunkirk. It was so amazing. Yeah, it was incredible. Um, yeah. It's just an incredible story. Uh, there's a book called The Miracle of Dunkirk. You know, it's one okay. of the one of the most popular books about Dunkirk, and I haven't read it, but I just mention it because it was amazing. It's one of those, you know, World War II itself is one of those things that there are just so many stories. It's unbelievable. Um, you know, evil and good, and and ciphers and uh, spies and battles, mm-hmm. and you know, it just endless. Um, It's just an amazing time to look into. I have an article called The Miracles of Dunkirk. Mm. And maybe it was kind of summarizing that book. And so we can talk about that later, the things that people looked at and and saw as miraculous. And it made me think uh, when I was looking at it about, I don't know how you say it, Lepanto? You know, the, the big attack by the Turks Oh, and the mm-hmm. Christians were outnumbered, and it was a sea battle, and the Turks were so good at the sea, and the Christians weren't, and the Pope made everybody start praying the rosary. Oh, wow. Everyone. And um, they won. Wow. The Christians won. <laughs> and a lot of people look at it and go, oh, well, because of this and this and this. But at the time, they were just like, oh, no, there was no <laughs> way we were going to win that thing without divine intervention. And all these different things came together, you know? Amazing, amazing. Um, but when you look at... This movie, it's interesting because it's not showing things from the outside. Yeah, that, that, is, that was a striking thing about the movie. Uh, I saw it, well, I remember when it first came out and I went and saw it. And mm. then I had to see it again really quickly. It, it was either the next day or the day after that I went back. Um, but it doesn't give you a heck of a lot of context. You know, there's some text that tells you what their situation is. And then um, it, it, you're, you're basically in it from like the very first frame. You're in it, and there, there's three stories that are going on. And one of the, the reasons that I had to see it again is because I didn't fully understand the first time I saw it what was meant by the time frame that it said. It, and the, you know, so yeah. there's like text. It says, the mole, one week. Right. That's one of the first right. things you see. And what it's telling you is that the story of the people, the, the mole, by the way, is a is a sort of a, a dock that that extends out into the ocean that was their way of getting people loaded on boats. And, and they they are British soldiers that are stuck in Dunkirk, which is in France and just across like 20 miles away. At the, at the shortest, it may be a little longer than that, but mm-hmm. about 20 miles away is England. Over the, you know, just over the water is England. You can almost see it, you know, a couple of characters have said in the movies, uh, in the movie. But, um, and they're stuck there because of uh, fighting that has pushed them to that point. And they're trying to get off of there, but there's so much fighting that it's unsafe. They, uh, the, the British have no way to get them off. And, yeah, um, because the draft for the boats is too uh, – it can only take very small boats to come in close enough to really get the men off. Right. The great big uh, warships or whatever they're called, yeah. they can't come in quite close enough. 
and the problem is, is they're also being bombed by German uh, Air Force. Exactly. So, uh, which I have to say, that happened, and I went, why didn't, why didn't I expect an airplane right now? Holy crap! You know, they're being bombed, and I'm just going, oh yeah, okay, that checks out. They did not have uh, control of the airspace for sure. Well, and actually. Well, of course, these guys don't know this. Actually, what was happening behind the scenes was over the hill that they couldn't see over. That they keep showing the the huge dune, and up behind it, they keep going over here. This part we're not controlling. There could be German soldiers, and so the tanks have been stopped for a reason they still can't explain. And uh, but behind those, the RAF, the British Air Force, well, the Royal Air Force, I guess you'd say, they were fighting tons of dogfights, holding back bombers. We don't see that. Um, but yeah. what we do see is the ones who get through and then RAF fighters who've been scrambled. So, yeah, there's three timelines. So there's the mole, which is a week. There's the little boat, mm-hmm. which is, is that a day? Yep, it was a day. Mm-hmm. And then there's um, a the British, well, there's several, but there's a main British uh, pilot who he's right. flying his mission and that's an hour. And right. I am just going to say here. Christopher Nolan needed to forget his love of screwing around with timelines for this movie. <laughs> I, it I mean, gorgeous. I get it. Inception was genius uh-huh. and he wasn't exactly doing yeah. it that he can't beat it. Memento. I get it. Someday we have to talk about that. Maybe Mr. Crazy timeline thing. Oh, okay. I thought it was he, cool. Yeah. Well, of course. <laughs> yeah. So, so to be clear, what it's saying is the, when it, one week it's telling a story that takes a week about the this group and then when it says a day what the events in the movie take a day for this group and then the hour was the airplane guys you know so what we saw in the movie covered an hour of their lives but they're being intercut with each other they are yep so we'll see something that happened maybe a week ago but at the same time we're seeing them load up the little boat and the little boats for people who might not know are um and they talk about this in the movie at one point, they're like, we can't get enough ships there in time because also things were heavily mined. Um, they're like, so there was an emergency plan, which I think was genius since they're an island nation and so many people had their own boats. They're like, okay, everybody's got a boat this size or whatever. Get over there. Go go start picking up soldiers. So just Yeah, and they're talking about civilians. Uh, yeah, just everybody. anybody who has yeah. a boat run over to Dunkirk and pick up some people. Yeah. And, Cause they uh, could. Cause and, it was and not only that, away. but it was, it was cool because you know, the people were eager to do it. Um, yes. And, I and think that was accurate. thousands of boats did this. Right. They were like, we're on our way. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, so we see one of those boats and that's, um, I have to say probably my favorite actor in the movie, Mark Rylance. Mm. He was the, <laughs> the skipper of the boat. He was the skipper of the boat. Ryland, that's it. Um, I don't know if you saw Bridge of Spies. Yes, yes. Okay, he was yeah. Rudolph Abel in that. Oh, that's great, yeah. He's the traitor that gets uh, arrested, or, you know, the spy who gets arrested at the beginning. So he's got this very quiet, reserved style. Mm, yes. And he does a lot just with a glance of the eye, a tilt of the head, you know, holding still, maybe, as he hears something. And um, in this, it's quite effective because he's got his son and a friend, one of his son's friends, with him. And at as they're going through to go get the the soldiers, you see um, what his son is learning hmm. from the father. Yeah, and that, that was that was really just so well done. I mm-hmm. thought that that whole story. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my favorite story. Yeah, just something. And then the pilot, you see the three pilots heading off together. And then, of course, um, they two of them don't, aren't going to able to go all the way. And the one is. And that's mm. quite a dramatic. That's a good story, too. Yeah. 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 It was, it was intense. So, um, yeah. By it, cutting those together, it does make it a more dynamic story, I think. Yeah. And that's, I think, what and, he and wanted I, to I do. I enjoyed, and again, the reason why I had to see it again pretty quick is, you know, the the first time we saw something happen twice, right? Like, yeah, yeah, uh, like the, the airplanes, the view. airplanes fly over the small boat from the airplane's point of view, and then later on in the movie, we're on the boat 
with their story and those planes fly overhead. And you're right. just like, that's the same moment. You know, that's the, the yes. point at which their timelines uh, connected, you know. And I was like, oh, how cool is that? I got to watch this to see what other things I missed. Oh, okay. You know, um, so once I, by the end of the movie, I, I had realized, oh, that's what one week means, one hour means. Um, okay. So I, I had to watch it again with that knowledge. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I have to say, this is my third or fourth time seeing it. Yeah, me too. Because I did it mm-hmm. for the movie groups that I'll do. And yeah. um, this time, and even then, there's things that you notice either that you didn't remember or there's one point where the boat picks up somebody who um who's who's own who was on a ship mm-hmm. that a U-boat sank. Right. And he's been traumatized. He's got shell shock as they would say back then and um he is seen fairly close to the end of the story of the mole which would make sense cuz the boats come one day before the end of that whole story. And he's he's telling somebody, no, don't worry, just stay in the water. Someone will come and pick you up. It's it'll be fine. It's all fine. He's very self assured, <laughs> reassuring, and it's like, oh, yeah. I don't think I ever recognized that that was. Um, mm. I don't know his name, Killian Murphy. I think yeah, is his, the actor's Murphy name, is the actor's name, right? who I really like anyway. Yeah, but it yeah. was just interesting um, mm-hmm. to see all, all those parts from different points of view. Yeah. And I, I just found, though, the whole story uh, really just profound and uplifting. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it was, you know, I, I come out of there feeling good, like I can I can take something on. <laughs> you know, right. because, because it's sort of, uh, it stirs that up inside. Um, so so not only do you have the, the main story or the main situation where you have these soldiers that are stuck and everybody's willing to come do what's needed and go straight into war with their little boats to pick up these soldiers. I mean, Mm -hmm. that is just awesome. And that it Mm -hmm. really happened is just amazing and great. Um, it, It is something that I feel like in, in our society today, we're too separated from things. Like when you think about the Gulf war and all that, in oh, here yeah. in the United States, we didn't suffer a bit. There was no, um, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm not talking about the soldiers. I'm talking about like me. Yeah. Um, there was nothing asked of me. Yeah. You know, uh, and I think that that's not a really good thing, you know, to be able to go to war without having the people be asked for something. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You know, like in World War II, there there were all kinds of things. There were rations. There were there were uh, people going to work in the factories. I mean, it was a nationwide effort. Once America oh. got into that, um, yeah. And you know, I know I was talking about the movie at dinner, and my mom said she still remembered as a girl walking down the street home from school, and she would see the yellow stars in the windows. And yellow stars are what people would put up if they had a son who died at war wow yeah you know yeah i don't know if we're not if we're not willing to put a nationwide effort behind a war it might not be a war we should be in you know what i mean yeah so um but what i wanted to say to anybody listening who hasn't watched it we've kind of told you everything you need to know because the plot lines we're following one particular soldier we're following that little boat we're following the pilot but Really, what a lot of it's about is the confusion of war mm. and how the individual actions matter. That's what this movie's about. I mean, it's about the bigger picture, obviously. Yeah. yeah. But the few individuals we're allowed to see are all um, the soldier, I guess, is the only one who's kind of just shown as being buffeted. Mm-hmm. You know, he sometimes is making decisions that are right and sometimes that are wrong. He's just kind of slammed around by fate. And now I'll try to get off this way. Now I'll try to get off that way. Um, so we're seeing more of the experience of a lot of different soldiers through him trying to get off. But though I don't know if those soldiers knew why they were there. They were fighting. And they were driven to the beach because they were losing. And now they're waiting to hope somebody gets them off. And every so often they're getting bombed. You know, the people in the boats, they know only we're going to go get our boys. This is what we know. And it's their good luck that the guy who's piloting the boat um, 
has some extra knowledge mm. just because of his personal life and interests. Yeah. And yeah. the pilot, he's a soldier. I mean, you know, he's a flight. He's, he's in the military. Yeah. His job is to do do or die. And he knows it. And people keep going, you might not have enough fuel. And he's like, uh-huh. Yeah, sure. Fine. He doesn't care. He's doing what he has to do. So all these individual actions directed towards a common goal, even though they don't know it, it, it's they, everything hinges on this. These big events of war hinge on this accumulation of the small moral decisions and actions. Hmm. And that's something deeper that you can look for in the movie as the chaos goes on. And you're like, what the hell just happened? You know, Mm-hmm. Um, that's how these people are feeling. They don't know either. Yeah. And where you get all the context is later on. And in that sense, it makes me think of us right now in the middle of this pandemic. Mm. Is it the right thing to shut stuff down and keep everyone home? Is it the wrong thing? Was it done the right way? Is it not done the right way? Well, we've got so many arguments going on right now over that. Everybody has an opinion, mm. but here we are. Yeah. We're all trying to do the best we can under difficult circumstances. And whether the big people who are deciding things, who we never hear from in the movie, except for one tiny bit of a speech that's read from the paper at the very end, nobody knows what's going on. Even Kenneth Branagh, who's the highest up official that we see, mm-hmm. who's on the beach, yeah. he's hoping and guessing, but he doesn't know what's going on either. Right, And right. that's us right now. Mm-hmm. You know, so when we're looking at the chaos and blaming people and and doing things like that, this movie is not a bad analogy, I think. It's just not as immediate, you know. We don't, don't have people dropping bombs on us, hopefully. Sure, sure. Yeah, it is, you know, the individual actions of everybody, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what we're seeing, yeah. That's great. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and people don't know the, you know, the fighters are given the orders, here, go keep these, these uh these planes get to get these this Luftwaffe planes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but definitely go definitely go see it. <laughs> <laughs> go see it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Give yeah, it a watch. It's <laughs> uh it really pulls you in and it does it without there is of course unpleasantness or violence or whatever, but it doesn't put it in your face, I don't think. Yeah. You know what I yeah, mean? Right. I do know what you yeah. mean. And there there is it's a it's an awful tense movie to watch, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it's not, it's not comfortable. It, it's not uncomfortable or it makes me uncomfortable, but it, it's not because of gore and violence. It, there's just this rising tension throughout and the music and stuff <laughs> just yeah. feeds that. It's just like a ticking time bomb. The whole movie. I was going to say, yes, yeah. the, that is done a lot. I think through the sound design and the music, if you can call it music, Hans Zimmer, who, you know, just love him. Yeah. yeah. Did the music and there is a swelling, wonderful theme, but you don't hear it until the end of the movie and the rest of the movie, a lot of the times you'll hear this grinding mechanical noise, just kind of underlying things because it's very tense. We don't know what's going on. There is a ticking noise, which a bomb is a good thing. I also thought of a heartbeat. Yeah. Right. A heartbeat. And, and a, a clock. A racing, of course, a quickening time. heartbeat. Right. Yeah. And time is going by. Yeah. Another very interesting aspect of this movie, especially the soldier's story is how little he speaks. Yeah. He speaks almost not at all. Um, and um, you're just seeing him take actions, like you said, um, and, and you realize, well, what he's trying to do is get off of this island or get off of this, get off of this beach. You know, mm-hmm. He's not on an island at that point, but trying to get off of, uh, off of France and get to uh, England. And, well, um, it's almost experimental in the mm-hmm. lack of narrative structure, I would yeah, say. Yeah. It's, um, it works for me. You do yeah. have to pay yeah. attention. You yeah. do, yeah. But you can see through his actions what he's thinking and what he's doing. Yeah. Well, and I would say um, it doesn't matter if you don't pick up on all the differences in timelines. Because mm-hmm. I have talked about this with, oh gosh, three or four different groups of movie viewers and most of them never picked up on the fact that there were three different timelines and they didn't because a lot of things were happening quickly Hmm. and so instead of realizing that the one ship they're seeing sunk they're seeing it from several different viewpoints 
they just thought it was three different ships. And it doesn't hinder it doesn't, the feeling yeah. of the movie at You're all. right. It doesn't. <laughs> um, it enhances it when you learn it later if you want to go back and look at it like you did. Um, right. It just turns it, the cool up to 11 if you do right. notice it. <laughs> <laughs> Why not 10? Well, because the, the style goes to 11. goes to 11. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love it. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so, right. Yeah. But, but yeah. I'm yeah, hoping context. for context. Oh, yeah. Scott, context. do you have some? I do. Yeah. <laughs> so, in, in 1940... Um, so this is a time the United States has not entered the war. In fact, there's a lot of argument going on in the United States. Um, Winston Churchill has just replaced Neville Chamberlain, uh, as the prime minister of England and Hitler has just gone into, um, he, you know, so it started with Poland and that, but now he's like taken over, uh, Belgium and is starting to go into France. And one of the things that I've always wondered um, is, you know, leadership. You know, whenever you read about World War II, it's like, wow, there were, there were all these amazing leaders that were in charge of things at that time. And then, you know, over time, I slowly got to realize that these people sort of rose to the occasion. Right. Because... Um, the leadership that England had and the leadership that France had pre-war uh, were replaced by people that that uh, conducted the war. Yeah. Um, right. So France, France was taken over by Germany in 34 days. I, I looked that up. It's not something that was it in my head. Big. Yeah. So. And part of the reason was is because France was in disarray. Their leadership was in disarray. There was a lot of infighting and things, and there was a lot of horrible decisions. And mm. one of the main things was, you know, they had this Maginot line, <laughs> and they left the forest. You know, they said, no one's going to go through this forest. And they left that with, you know. So the, the Ardan forest, uh, the Germans just drove right over it. With their tanks, they're just like yeah, we're just gonna just all these towers right and it. you know this yeah. great you know it's the Maginot Line. It's mm-hmm. these all these things they'll have to go through here. There's like well we could just go over there. Yeah, our <laughs> tanks. These new these new yeah. things we have. Right. Yeah. It was just so something. It was. I, I read about that later, and I went. Yeah. I guess at the time, you know, you just don't think outside the box. But I'm like, this is like uh, when my husband said they they built a fence for on his father's ranch for mm-hmm. some cows and they got tired and at the end of the day they're like oh well we'll finish it later they'll never it's such a long fence this is a long fence they'll never yeah. go around it and he said we didn't stop to think about the fact a cow has nothing else to do yeah. so they come up to the fence and they just turn one direction and walk oh, and then they gosh. go oh yeah. it's done now <laughs> <laughs> oh just crazy think of that story yeah yeah Wow. So one of the things that I was uh, learning as well is Germany and France were fighting each other in World War One, and Germany could never get any any piece of France during that war. And then Hitler comes and he does it in 34 days. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine how the German people were so happy with, um, you know, because, I mean... Way, way context. You know, a lot of people say that World War II was a result of what happened after World War One, Right. You know, because of all of the stuff that they did to Germany after World War One forced them into these extreme decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so so this, this is what happened. So uh, the British forces, the British Expeditionary Force was in France, and they got caught up in this blitz across France to Paris, and they ran and they ended up at Dunkirk. And there was uh, one of the things that you mentioned earlier was Hitler told the tank regiment or whatever you call that army to stop. And, um, you know, he had leaders arguing with him saying, hey, we need to go kill all these British people, um, you know, all this British army so that, you know, in the future we won't have to fight them. But Hitler, for some reason, stopped. And um, then uh, he also had a force coming in through Brussels or Belgium. And 
that is who was fighting that, you know, when they kept looking over the hill, that was something that was happening mm-hmm. there. Um, that wasn't going to be tanks coming over the hill. That was going to be the, the German army who was fighting in, through Belgium into France. So that's a situation they found themselves in. They had nowhere to go. Their back was against the ocean. They couldn't go forward and they couldn't go across the channel. Yeah, and so there were 300,000, well, 400,000 soldiers mm-hmm. trapped there, plus uh, Belgium, Belgian and French troops also right. with them. Right. And um, they, <laughs> they're just like, how do you move the, that many people in that short of a time with all these, you know, the, the um, channel was heavily mined, mm-hmm. that you had the... Airplanes, and so some people think that Hitler stopped it because he was really in favor of air power. So this was going to be the chance to really show what they could do. Yeah, nobody really knows. That's mm-hmm. still argued about to this day. Right. But um, the thing is, is that was twenty five percent of the entire British army mm. was there. Right. It, so yeah, if you huge. lost that, yeah. the next place Hitler's going to go, well, they're looking <laughs> at it, going, "He's just taken France in this incredible time." He is coming for us. Right. He's we headed know to England. It. Yeah. Yeah. There's no doubt. Mm-hmm. You know, and so he, um, they're, they're just like, we got to get those guys out of there. We need all those guys because yeah. we got to hunker down. Right. Right. And um, plus, you don't want your soldiers all killed. They do. <laughs> there is this level of care for the people, but also it's just, you know, from a strategic point of view. So. Right. Right. So it was a huge point of uh, um huge decisive moment i guess you would say mm-hmm. yeah and, the, and and it looked i mean it, it was dire i mean they they had no way to oh, get yeah. them off and yeah and at the opening of the movie we see um the uh british soldier um on the credits he's listed as tommy mm-hmm. and um we see him sort of well at the very beginning he's he's in in town not quite to the beach and he's getting shot at and uh, ends up running to the beach, and that's where he sees four hundred thousand of his uh, comrades there, or his his mm-hmm. brothers, and um, sees them all in lines. And um, I thought it was an interesting touch that you know he went he walked up there, you know, sort of in a daze, and he gets in line, and the guy looks behind him and he says, "You're not one of us. You, your yeah. guys are over there." Yeah. <laughs> I thought, oh my gosh, really? I know. You know, just so even you know, just just this you know infighting amongst people in the in the British, you know. Yeah. Just like a what people do. Yeah, human nature. Human nature, yeah. So. Well, and um, of course, one of the things that the movie conveys really, really well is, if I can skip ahead to the end for mm-hmm. a second, is we're. We're on the soldier's side. We want him to escape. And we're not thinking about it from the point of view of somebody, a different guy who kind of meets and winds up traveling back with, mm-hmm. who says, they're going to spit on us in the streets. Oh, we that was lost. That we was had something. to be hauled off in ignominy. <clears throat> mm-hmm. and, um, and it turns out, of course, you could see why he'd think that. Mm-hmm. We're, we totally lost this. Yeah. And then what happens is they're being celebrated. Mm-hmm. Because what it was is snatching these guys out from under Hitler's nose was a moral victory. So it, it's a really interesting dichotomy, right? Is the It's the horrible military loss that turns into the saying of Dunkirk spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is what they carry with them throughout the war. We will never give up. And that's, of <laughs> course, the Hitler speech. It's, yeah. you know, the whole attitude afterwards was, you know, we'll take our lumps and mourn our dead, but we are never giving up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. That was really, really something. You know, yeah. yeah, to feel that way after getting off the island, you know, or getting off the beach after going through all that stuff just to feel like, oh man, everyone's going to hate us now. What a failure. What a failure we are. And, uh, to be received as heroes. Yeah. 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 That was, it was, it was well done. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the, (sighs) 
You know, I, I read again, I read in the in the, the Wikipedia entry that um, some of Christopher Nolan's early drafts of this movie did have Churchill in it, and oh, really? did have some scenes, you know, with you know to add context and all that stuff. And I'm glad that he didn't do that because that's not what this movie was. You know, it was really right. about those three characters, the mainly. And then, mm-hmm. um, interestingly enough, at very near this same time, a movie came out called uh, Darkest Hour that right. tells this whole story from Churchill's point of view. And um, it's well worth watching as well. Oh, it's... Yeah. I like Dunkirk a lot, mm-hmm. but Darkest Hour, I think, is better. Mm. Um, maybe it's just more my kind of movie too. Yeah, it's but, just they're so different. Um, but I but, I love this movie. But they do go together like bookends, and you know uh, Scott and I were talking about that in email. As I was like watching it, going, it's funny. I watch this, and all I can think of is Darkest Hour, where I know the frantic maneuvering that's going on behind the scenes to try to make any of this get pulled off. And then I remember watching Darkest Hour. And the whole time they're trying to plan and figure out and get everybody out of there. I'm thinking of this movie Dunkirk going, this is what these guys are going (laughs) through. This is what they're trying to save them from. So those two movies really are almost just like a two part movie. Yeah, really, really. And you know, Mm -hmm. yeah, Christopher Nolan did not direct uh, Darkest Hour, Uh, but it's funny how they came out at the same time or near the same time. Mm -hmm. Well, and there was another movie that came out about the same time. All these movies came out within in a year of each other, and it's called Their Finest, uh-huh. um, which is playing off of Their Finest Hour, you mm-hmm. know, uh, which is in a Churchill speech. And, right. you know, it's like, I believe they'll say this was Their Finest Hour, and that was from the Battle of Britain. Right, and the Battle that, of Britain, right. But that movie set, I believe, during the Battle of Britain. I haven't rewatched that one. Um, and I have not seen but, that one. I've just called it up here in front of me. I haven't seen yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's a good movie. It's not everybody who – okay, so what I did I, in these movie groups, I did in three months in a row, I did Their Finest, Dunkirk. And Darkest Hour because I was really interested in the idea that suddenly this has all come up because Their Finest is a movie about making a movie about Dunkirk hmm, in really? order to inspire people <laughs> to Holy keep cow. fighting. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so it delves, it's from the point of view of a young woman who is hired to be a scriptwriter at a time when that didn't really happen ever. So it's... It's a different kind of a story. It's got Bill Nye in it. Um, it's you know, it's a pretty good movie. It's not, I think, to the quality of these, but it's it's definitely good and definitely worth watching. And everyone who watched it enjoyed it. But they all also brought up Mrs. Miniver. Have you ever seen that? No, I don't. That think is I have. an old movie. Oh gosh, I'm trying to remember who it starred, but it's black and white. And it's also about um, uh, people who are just living their lives in England. At the time all this is going on, they've got a boat. They go across to Dunkirk and help get some people off. Really? So that's Holy also cow. i got to watch yeah. that. Yeah, so I just so, called it up. Mrs. Miniver, 1942, um, stars, uh, let's see. Not Greer Garson. Yeah, Greer Garson. Yeah, okay. Greer Garson, Walter Pigeon, Teresa okay. Wright. Yeah. And it was, it was made in 1942. Yeah, it's it was made right then, and so and that's mm-hmm. what I need to rewatch. So that's the one where probably that's better than their finest for that kind of thing. But the thing I found interesting about their finest is this is afterwards. This is the Battle of Britain is happening, mm-hmm. right. and they're mm-hmm. doing something to remind people to keep it in their mind that yeah. Dunkirk spirit is what we want. Right, the miracles can and happen. <laughs> right, exactly. It's yeah. that thing of right. we don't need to give up. Yeah. We just have to keep going. That's right. And in fact, that's, that's right. what Malcolm Gladwell wrote about in oh gosh, I think it was David and Goliath. Uh-huh. He where he'd talk about the surprising underdogs. And one of them was the British people in London during the Battle of Britain. Mm. And I realize we're way off topic, guys, but no, just hang no, in there is, with this me. this is great. <laughs> and, um, Good info. I love it. Yeah, he was saying <laughs> that, you know, Hitler, forgive me, kind of makes me think of 9-11 where, you know, they're like, oh, this is going to come down and everyone in America is going to be afraid and cry. And instead, what they do no, is man. go, screw you. Yeah. No yeah. way. Well, well, that's what happened in England. They just kind of went, well, <laughs> I'm not dead today. 
Take oh, that, Hitler. Man. I absolutely loved the – there's a scene in Darkest Hour – I mean, we won't spend too much time on that, yeah. but but he, you know, Churchill is caught between people that want to make him uh, negotiate peace with Hitler and to um, wage war. And in his head, you know, he wants to wage war because he doesn't see this as something that can you can you can't have peace with that person. Yeah, so that's you know not because what, the the position it'll put Britain in is not is not a position that we would want to live under. Yeah, and um, so but at the same time there was all this political pressure for him to um, enter peace negotiations while Dunkirk is going on. By the way, this is right. This is right when all this was going on. So in the in the movie Darkest Hour, I have no idea if it's historically accurate or not. Um, but uh, Churchill goes and he takes the underground train. He he leaves oh, yeah. and he walks out a- amongst the people, <laughs> goes down to the train, and that scene was just awesome. <laughs> and he he's you know he's talking to people. You know what's your name? You know everybody's starstruck and um, and then he says you know I have something to ask you folks. Uh, you know what's your mood and and all that stuff and and um, anyway he gets right down to it and he says what would you think if we signed up peace accord with Hitler and they were like no way mm-hmm. never we're not doing that even down to the kids <laughs> you know yeah and he was like you know so he was so moved by that 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 gave him the um, energy to do what he thought was right anyway yeah and that's... then he he completed the movie uh, in that mood and and it matches what it matches what Dunkirk was you know it matched what you know, when you, you go and you, you tell people, hey, we're in a serious spot here and we need your help, everybody said, yes, what mm-hmm. can I do? Let's let's participate. Let's get this done. I will yeah. say that was a movie moment only. Okay. Um, yeah. But he would just disappear mm-hmm. and they would have no idea where he was and he'd just show up again. Yeah. And so they often yeah. thought he was just kind of wandering around seeing what was going on. Uh-huh. But that moment, you're right, was really key to the movie because it showed why he had so much support. Yeah. yeah. That he basically was able to kind of pull the um, the words that showed what the spirit of the British people was at the time and uh-huh. what was needed. Right, right. And the leadership that was needed. I mean, we're not shown that in this movie, but you see why leadership is needed. Yeah, leadership is absolutely needed. And and the leadership that they had before Churchill, you know, huh. he, he was negotiating and, you know. He, Chamberlain. He, yeah. Who knows if he was the right person, you know, before that. I don't know exactly what his <laughs> situation was, but at that moment, he was the wrong person. Yeah. And, Monty um, Python called him England's great pre-war joke. <laughs> <laughs> right. And he's, you know, I I remember reading things, you know, where he'd go to Germany and, you know, come out of there and say, all right, we're going to be fine. And then, you know, Germany invades Poland. That's (laughs) the thing is. We're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. When you keep ignoring the example someone has said, and Hitler's just like, I mean, when Hitler invaded, now we're way off topic, but Mm. when Hitler invaded. That's all tied together. Was it, it might have been. Oh gosh, one of the early countries, Czechoslovakia or somewhere, mm-hmm. they did it. And then evidently they just kind of sat there going, What's everyone going to do? Because if everybody had protested and gotten really upset, they would have backed off. Mm. And no one did anything. And they went, Oh my gosh, okay, where's the next place? Let's yeah. see what happens then. Yeah. And by then, once, once they invaded Poland and everybody woke up and went, Oh, bloody hell, it was too late. Yeah. You know, they yeah. had perfected everything. So this is way off topic. Um, no, nah, but to me, to me, it's all fascinating and it all ties together because it's like what the people, what people are feeling as opposed to what the leaders are doing um, is an interesting topic. Well, and that is what the movie itself. So if we go back to just what the movie shows us, um, it, it is doing what you're saying. It's showing us public citizens as an element of hope during the war because they rose to action in solidarity yeah. against adversity. And this is the thing that says where they're all like, you know, it's that thing of if you could drive your car and go save 10 people from something, yes, you're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's all line up. Can we get That's through right. there? Absolutely. Um, 
Absolutely. And the other thing it showed that I thought was interesting that we forget, and part of that I think is because your point about the Gulf War, mm-hmm. um, or maybe it's just that we are so lucky we've had such a era of prosperity. Yeah. And so survival isn't fair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, sure, you yeah. just you just take your lumps, and we've kind of forgotten that because we're all very protected. Even this sheltering at home, you know, I feel terrible for the people who've lost their jobs or in in dire circumstances, and oh, heaven forfend, you know, the people who've died and everything. But yeah, yeah. it's that idea that for a soldier, the challenge and peril are just relentless. Mm-hmm. And those citizens, as you were pointing out, they're just throwing themselves into it. I'm not worried about the the bombers. I'm not. I'm going to go get our boys. Right, right. But in the movie, kind of immerses you in that. So it absolutely does. You know, and that yeah. that's what it does. I mean, it, that seems to be the point of the movie uh, is you're experiencing things through their stories. You know, and that and that rising tension, that rising tension, like we said right. before is just prevalent and um it's it's a tense thing to watch well and it's um the whole idea of we're shown those little moments and especially i think the boat trip Mm -hmm. shows us a lot more of that because we're seeing more individual human interaction of people that we continue to follow their story some and so when you're seeing these moments of quiet heroism and mercy such as when the traumatized soldier is pulled onto the boat. Yeah. And the father's understanding and the son not understanding. And then, you know. and then understanding by the end. You yes. Know, that was, that was so well done. Um, yeah. His friend is killed and it's completely inadvertent. The guy feels terrible. And he's, is the boy going to be okay? Is the boy going to mm, be okay? Yeah. And at first, uh, yeah. So for those who don't know, you know, what happened is the, the Mark, Mark Rylance, you know the, yes, the the skipper Ryland. of the boat, right? They're mm-hmm. they're headed towards Dunkirk, and they come across this boat uh, that has sunk, but a little piece of it is sticking up, and on the top of that is where Killian Murphy is sitting. Um, and they drive over there and uh, save him. They get him on the boat. He's shell shocked, like we said before. I mean, he's barely functional, um, mm-hmm. just scared to death. Then they just continue on to, towards Dunkirk, and there's three people on the boat, or four people at that point. But you have the skipper of the boat, his son, and his son's friend, and then you have uh, the Killian Murphy, the the one they just saved. So they're headed towards Dunkirk, and then when the soldier realizes that they're they are not headed to England, he loses it. And <laughs> uh, you know, at one point, they're I mean, it, extremely uncomfortable. The 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 son is like, should I lock him in this room or, you know, they're, they're you know yeah. silently through glances and things trying to figure out how to deal with this situation, but uh, Mark Rylance is like, no, we have to go to Dunkirk. That's what we're here for. And, yeah, we have um, a job to do. We have a job to do, right? Even though the soldier is like, we can't go there. We're, we need to go away from there. Yeah, you can't save them. Right. There's too many of them. There's, what can you do in this one little boat? Right. Right. Yeah, and then so they just continue on, and then um, through through this panic of this soldier is where George gets hurt. He's the friend, um, and yeah, I mean the the mercy and the forgiveness from Mark Rylance is something that Peter, which is his son, learns, and um, I thought that was great, just just how it was handled, you know. So. Um, they're they're afraid of the guy, you know, they're afraid of the soldier and um Peter is angry at the soldier and but the soldier is showing a lot of uh remorse mm-hmm. and you know uh, starting to come back to himself and realizing what he's done and uh, uh there there comes that moment where um when when the boat gets to other soldiers and they're pulling all those soldiers out of the water and now the boat is full of people and yeah. suddenly Peter's like, oh my gosh, my hurt friend is down there. And he he yells down to the below decks and he says, be careful with him. And then one of the soldiers looks up and says, hey, he's dead. 
And then he just says, uh, you know, that's the first he knew that he had died. And mm-hmm. he was like, uh, well, be careful with them. <laughs> yeah. Because you know, what else are you going to say? Because, yeah. you know, and then the look between the dad and the son at that point was just perfect. Well, yeah, because that's when the uh, Killian Murphy's character comes over and says, is, yeah. is he okay then? The boy's okay? And he looks at him, he says, yeah, he's, he's going to be all right. Right. And that's when the father looks at him and just gives him this tiny nod. Of, yeah, he's Because like, there's no need to hurt anyone else. And what you feel is um, the it, it's told at one point that the oldest son was mm, a RAF guy. Right. And he died. Who had died, right? Yeah. Yep. And so, but the father, he knew the sound of the airplanes, different, if, oh, that's one of ours I can tell from the sound of the motor. Mm-hmm. That's uh, you know okay when when they're going to be strafed by someone he's like okay son get ready to do this thing he goes but wait wait till he commits to his line yeah. so he's watching and you know that both before and after his son died he'd studied all this stuff mm-hmm. this is how he could participate and also how he was honoring his son's memory he was using all that information yeah just so this good. quiet guy you know mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. I found that. Touching also. And the fact that mm-hmm. he knew a lot, but then they had pulled a downed airline, or airline, uh, RAF pilot onto the boat. Mm-hmm. And he's watching. Here comes a plane that's going to crash. And they're near a boat that has had a lot of oil mm-hmm. <laughs> leaking from it. Yeah. And he's looking. And they're pulling guys on board and loading their boat as fast as they can. And he looks at the plane and he looks at the oil, and he looks at the men in the water, and then he tells the pilot, "Go, go, go, go now, as fast as you can." And the the pilot doesn't, or the skipper doesn't ask; he just goes. And they're holding one last guy, who's our soldier that we've been following, but he's the last one because you know you can't save everybody. Right, right. It Amazing. Was, mm-hmm. Yeah, a good moment. Yeah, powerful stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But the other thing was, um, then you have the small acts of kindness that they get there and everybody's showing their support in every way they can. There's a blind guy handing out, I think, blankets. There are people with sandwiches and all, you know, and they're all praising them. They're there to help in the way that they can. The most, uh, of course, touching one that we're supposed to really relate to and understand is that the boy who, George, the one who died on the boat, he never actually did anything, but he was willing. Right. You right. know, he said, I hope that I can, I've never done anything that mattered, and I hope I can go and people will say it mattered or my name will be in the newspaper or something, yeah, that I did something yeah. important. And so he really didn't do anything except he was there. Mm-hmm. He was mm-hmm. willing. And so the friend, Peter, the skipper's son, yeah. Takes his picture to the paper and has a little story printed up that, you know, he was a hero. He died helping people be saved at Dunkirk. Yeah. So good. Yeah. And so it honors yeah. his memory and it honors the it people does. who were trying, even though they maybe didn't have hands on helping. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. So we, we haven't talked much about Tom Hardy in his situation there. <laughs> You know, so and that, we only get to see his face at the very end. The, yeah, or, or at Tom the very Hardy. beginning and the very end. Oh, yeah, I guess yeah. the very, very beginning. Yeah, but it's up against the sun, isn't it? So it's hard to see him. Yeah, yeah. And at the end, the fire is shining on his face. Right. So you see his look of determination and satisfaction. <laughs> yeah, job well done. That was powerful yeah. stuff, too. It sure I was. Mean, at, the, at, the, at the end of that thing where he's out of fuel and he flies over the beach and his propeller isn't turning, and Kenneth Branagh sees him, and all of the troops see him. That was awesome. Just oh, yeah. so powerful. That's, your heart is swelling, just like all of those soldiers who are clapping and yeah, cheering him. Yeah, just awesome. And then when he comes mm. from behind and shoots down that plane that's coming to get them, yeah, that's actually accurate. Oh, cool. Love it. You know, not that that yep. necessarily happened at that moment, but uh-huh. that actually was possible. Yeah, that's what because they were the German, doing, yeah. the Stuka mm-hmm. plane or whatever, was really famous evidently for being super clumsy and huge and not very easy to maneuver uh-huh. in a tight spot. Wow. 
Yeah. Yeah. Never saw him coming, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that's an amazing thing about, you know, all those scenes is just how all that worked. You know, these dog fights and mm-hmm. things, you know, coming at them, you know, with the sun behind you so that they can't even see you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if you approach them from a certain angle, nothing that they would do, you know, unless they happen to be turning around looking exactly at you, they would yeah. never know you're coming. And then how hard it was to shoot the planes while you're moving and they're moving. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's always just something. Just an incredible, incredible time. Yeah, and that was kind of interesting because you we're not shown them a lot. Mm-hmm. And of course, they were only it's only an hour for them, but um, we do see their camaraderie. They as they're flying together mm-hmm. and talking on the radio some, and then I mean, and not that they're going, oh yes, old man. It's you mm-hmm. know just in the process of doing their jobs. Yeah, yeah. and then um, and as the other two drop out, it's kind of like, Ugh. yeah. Yeah. But then we see from the point of view of the rescued pilot who's on the boat watching. Yeah. Just like, come on, yeah. you could do it. And we're just like, yeah, yeah. He helps <laughs> uh, translate it for us. Yeah, right. You know? Right. Yeah. And and show us that camaraderie and that feeling of accomplishment of what that guy's doing. So that's also mm. a wonderful moment. Gosh. This movie's just, it's just a gem. I mean, just <laughs> so well... Uh, I, I, again, in some of the research I did, it said that the the whole script was like seventy pages long. Yeah, it's which, about half of his usual script. Yeah, and it's because there's so little talking. It's really, you know, I imagine that the script is just full of descriptions of you know, okay, there's a dogfight, or you know, this this soldier is going to run across the beach and pick up uh, um someone on a stretcher and then run onto the boat, <laughs> you yeah. know, it, how, how he put all that in a script. I mean, there weren't, there were no lines. Um, so in a well, lot of he that wanted stuff. to make it originally, I think, um, just off the cuff. And luckily his wife talked to him out of it and went, no, you have <laughs> to, to give them meaning like to Just make it up as you go. Yeah. yeah. Like in King Kong. <laughs> 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 just get me a camera, turn the camera, yeah. start rolling. That's it. That's it. Oh my it. gosh. Well, and I would like to say the other thing he did is he made it with a minimum of CGI. I don't know if you mm. saw that too. I did I didn't. So that's cool. Okay. So he used a large number of cardboard cutouts of soldiers along with 1000 extras to create the illusion of a huge number of men during the evacuation. Oh, wow. Okay. And he used real planes and models. They rebuilt the mole several times. Uh-huh. And um, because of storms would come along and everything and blow it apart. <laughs> Just destroy it. Darn They uh, yeah. used natural lighting for everything. Uh-huh. And the original wool fabric, they had it made and aged for the different regiments. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he was all about as much reality as you could possibly get. Wow. Yeah. So those dogfights and stuff, those weren't CGI? Those were like no, real? No, a lot of them were... Um, no, they were really happening. That's fascinating. And That's I, d- really cool. I didn't write down that part of it, but if you uh-huh. go look. Yeah. And uh, 12, I think, or 10 of the boats that they showed were original uh, little boats. Wow. The one cool. that they were on was an original boat. Yeah, I love that. That had been maintained. So they did that everything really they could, good. just kind really of going, good. let's really recapture all this stuff. Very, very nice. That's that's mm-hmm. that's neat. Yeah, I love mm-hmm. love those details. So, the Miracles of Dunkirk. Okay. Yeah. So, um, we've talked about the horrible crisis, and this uh-huh. was all going to be awful. And Churchill had said that he thought maybe they could get twenty or 30,000 guys off. Mm-hmm. And so, George the Sixth, yeah. The king, George. The king? yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the king knew about this. So, he made a broadcast and called a national day of prayer. And... He had the whole cabinet and everybody go to Westminster Abbey for it. And millions of people all over the Commonwealth and Empire went to churches. And the scene outside of Westminster Abbey, they said that the Daily Sketch said nothing like it has happened before. Photos show long lines of people who couldn't get in because mm. all the churches were so crowded. Wow. So then there were three miracles that they say. And one was that. The thing we've talked about, nobody knows why Hitler overruled his generals and stopped the tanks. 
which were 10 miles away. Mm-hmm. So that would have been over in no time. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Churchill thought it was the air superiority thing. But but because of that, um, there was a storm, it says, of unprecedented fury that broke over Flanders, hmm. which grounded the German Luftwaffe squadrons wow. and let the mm-hmm. British Army get on foot up coast in the cover of darkness and the rain with hardly any interruption. So Mm. that let them get into place. And then the third miracle, which was despite the storm in Flanders, there was a calm, it says, such as rarely been experienced, which settled over the English Channel during the days that followed and the waters became as still as a mill pond. And it said it was this really amazing calm that let all these ships get across back and forth so many times to get as many people off as they did. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's just great. Yeah. They said that um, thousands of ships did it. And so here's a quote from a Spitfire fighter ace who was going back and forth to help cover the operation. He said the scene as he saw it, it says the sea from Dunkirk to Dover during these days of the evacuation looked like any coastal road in England on a bank holiday. It was solid with shipping. One felt one could walk across without getting one's feet wet, or that's what it looked like from the air. Hmm. There were there were naval escort vessels, sailing dinghies, rowing boats, paddle <laughs> steamers, indeed every floating device known in this country. They were all taking British soldiers from Dunkirk back home. You could identify Dunkirk from the Thames estuary by the huge pall of smoke rising straight up into a windless sky from the oil tanks, which were ablaze just inside the harbor. Wow. So, mm-hmm. and one of the high command, the German general staff chief, um, said, he recorded in his diary on May 30th, bad weather has grounded the Luftwaffe, and now we must stand by and watch countless thousands of the enemy getting away to England right under our noses. Hmm. Holy smokes. So then they declared a national day of Thanksgiving, as one would, you know, um, say, because they went to prayer two days before the big storm and the calm. Wow. And so then mm-hmm. on June 4th, Churchill spoke to Commons and he called it a miracle of deliverance. And you can take miracle any way you want, of course. Yeah, but all absolutely. those things coming mm. together, that's the stuff where you go, all right. Mm. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you feel that miraculous nature of it when you're following that soldier who's being rescued. Right, right. Yeah, you absolutely do. Um, yeah, it's just stunning that, that all that played out like it did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that it provided the the sense of um you know, iron in the soul of the British. Yeah. Going, if we could do that, we can do anything. That's right. <laughs> you know, never yeah. give up, never surrender. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, it it's it was good, you know, to to have that decision, you know. Again, Churchill was the right person at the right time. Yeah. So, we can go into that yeah. a different time. Right, but, for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. He was. In fact, there's a really good book about him. I don't know if I've mentioned it before, but it's surprising to me. When I read the book, I didn't know who Boris Johnson was. Mm. And uh, I got mm. done with the book and went, oh, look, this guy's the mayor of London. Huh. <laughs> well, of course, now he's the prime minister. Yeah. But it's a kind of an apologetics for Churchill because I didn't realize in England a lot of the younger people are um, – saying really bad interpretations of the actions and things Mm. that everybody understood at the time. Yeah. So he used the book to tell the story of his life and it's not a very long book. And to, huh? I sorry. I just said, there's so much of that going on these days. What what is going on? What? I know. I just don't understand it. I was dumbfounded. I just looked at it and it had good reviews and it was fairly short, which, you know, on Churchill, it's hard to get. And I picked it up, and then each chapter started off with, well, now people are saying this. Let me explain this about Churchill <laughs> and the context and what wow. else was going on. And um, it, I liked the book, not knowing anything about who wrote it or anything else, because I'd grown up really admiring Churchill. 
Mm-hmm. And I was dumbfounded that people were taking this really negative view and putting him down and saying, oh, he was really doing this. He was thinking this. He didn't care about that. He was, wow. you know, it's all the usual stuff that people wow. like to throw at someone without looking at context. Yeah. So it's a, I can't remember the name of the book, but surely we'll all remember Boris Johnson and Churchill. So just mm-hmm. look it up and you'll find it. Yeah, for sure. Christopher Nolan is a favorite. Um, yeah. Uh, I I do like the time plan and stuff. (laughs) Like like I said, it turns it right up to 11. I'll allow it. Yes. (laughs) I don't have a choice. So, okay. That's awesome. So, I looked up just to see what he's got coming out next, and it's actually this year. Okay. Uh, It says July 17th of 2020, uh, a movie called Tenet, T-E-N-E-T. It says here, an action epic revolving around international espionage, time travel, of course, and evolution. (laughs) And then it says here, possibly, which means that I guess uh, IMDb doesn't know, possibly about a man trying to prevent World War III (laughs) through time travel and rebirth. Yes. Okay. And there's a trailer, so, you know. Oh, all right. Yep. I was reading a big list of all kinds of movies coming out, so I'm sure I got it confused with something else. But when you Mm. said, started describing it, I was like, oh, yes, I remember the poster. Ah, okay, cool. So, okay. Yep, so looking forward to anything he does is something I'm going to watch. So, yeah, very good. So, are there, I'm just curious, just before we sign off here, are there any other war movies that you kind of stand out for you? You know, it's funny. I was thinking about that because I don't generally, I'm not attracted to war movies. Mm-hmm. You know, this, I was interested because I liked the story of Dunkirk and I like Christopher Nolan. Yeah. But usually, if it's not The Great Escape or, um, oh, I don't know. Mm. What is it? It's not like 17. You know, movies yeah. that aren't mm-hmm. really about war. Yeah. <laughs> about, uh-huh. um, the Dirty Dozen. Right. Um <laughs> Love then all those I, movies. I yeah. don't, but you know, they're actually, I'm thinking there was one, what was it? Clint Eastwood directed it and it's called, is it called Hacksaw Ridge? Hacksaw Ridge, yeah. About the conscientious objector. Mm, right, right. And if you watch that, then also watch Sergeant York, mm. which is mm-hmm. about a conscientious objector, I think during World War One. Yeah, I think you're right on yeah. that. Yeah, and um, but those make good uh, bookend movies. But the Hacksaw Ridge was a very impressive movie. I I did like it, and it was of course not about the fighting of the war, but it was about the brutality of what happens to people, hmm. the victims. Because I was thinking of Dunkirk and how he's not showing his super violence up close. Well, Hacksaw Ridge, have you seen it? I have not. No. Okay, there's one no. point where he's go- insisting on going up there and saving people. Mm-hmm. When nobody else will go, and they're showing, here's what happened. Here are the bodies, and wow. they look like they would look, oh and you're just kind of like, Ugh. yeah, holy smokes, the real cost, yeah, yeah, right. But it was a good movie. Wow. Well, good. Know? I yeah. mean, you know, it was, it was not standout Christopher Nolan directing, but it was a good solid mm. movie. Cool. For showing this guy's life and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very good. How about you? Very good for me. Um, I really liked Saving Private Ryan. I never saw it. And then um, that has a very intense opening. Um, That's which why is, I never saw which it. Which is D-Day, <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. I really, really loved Band of Brothers, which is a 10-part series that was on oh, HBO. Yeah. That mm-hmm. is an incredible show. Um, yeah. Those are I probably my two favorites. Either. Yeah, It's worth watching for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very intense for for. Ten episodes intense. Oh. I, <laughs> in case gee, I don't two have hours the time of intensity to fit it in. is just not enough. <laughs> it's, it's you can a, go for like ten hours of it. Just so let me look at my calendar. It's so full. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Oh, that's something else. Yeah. Oh so, goodness. <laughs> yeah. Some of my uh, grandma's brothers. She had a fairly large family. My grandma and uh, a couple of her brothers were in Europe during World War Two. Mm. So that was interesting to learn about. Oh, that did make me think of one last bit of trivia, which was Mm -hmm. kind of funny. Might be a good uh, ending point is. uh, So Kenneth Branagh Mm -hmm. was at the, um, of course, the, he was 
acting in it. And he was at the opening, the premiere, and they had 30 Dunkirk survivors who were in their mid-90s who they had attend. Uh And they asked him about the film, and they were like, well, it accurately captures what we went through. But that soundtrack was louder than the actual bombardment. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That's too funny. (laughs) <laughs> and this is 90-year-olds who probably can't hear yeah. that well. Oh, so wow. <laughs> I may be glad I saw it at home where I could turn uh, it down. <laughs> yes, for sure. Mm. That's fun. Well, yeah. good. All right. Well, thanks for watching that one. Oh, no. All I, right. Yeah, you know, I was yeah. glad to see it again. Good, good. All right. And next up for us is uh, The Scarlet Letter oh, yeah. by Hawthorne. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Americana all the way, baby. (laughs) I love it. That's great. I'm ready to dive in. Yes, it's it's the conversation for people who all were taught to hate it by their high school teachers and have to rediscover Uh it. You know, like I did. Excellent. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Okay. Looking forward to that. Okay. Well, thanks everybody. Yeah, we'll talk to you again soon. All right. See you soon. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you.